0: I made it. Oh, good. Well, I want to make sure my laptop didn't die in the middle of the recording, so.
1: Yes, and you got your hat back on, which is super important.
0: My head gets cold. Eastern Coastal Waters.
1: <laughs> is that what it is? Oh, yeah. Inside your house, the Eastern Coastal Waters really affect your head warmth.
0: That's what we get. We went with the no doors, no windows kind of thing. <laughs>
1: It's a very open concept.
0: Yeah, some people were like, oh, so you just have like a box. It's like, no, it's actually the opposite. It has all the spots for doors and windows, but the, we just didn't install them. They, they said we could yeah. kind of piecemeal the house together, so that's what we're doing.
1: It's one way to save yeah, a few bucks. We went for the,
0: the kitchen table first. Smart. Anywho. <laughs> I'll blow my nose and then we'll do this thing. Oh, You're such a
1: diva. This hat, this laptop charging nose blowing must be bad because you turned off your camera so there's gonna be snot flying everywhere
0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the podcast today are my two stupendous co hosts who are severely out of practice, just like me. First up, Tiffany B.
1: Hello.
0: Okay, you remember Jill? Did July. do that right? Good job, Tiff. <laughs> and on the other side of the mic, it's Dan. Gentlemen. Oh, oh man, I now we got a up. retake. <laughs>
1: That's OK. I mean, we have to have a little equality here. The gentlemen deserve a nice, deep, welcoming.
0: Don't you think we've There's had Probably enough, more tiff. of them listening.: Enjoy the lads.
1: Oh no. <laughs> lads, Lads is a good way of putting it.:
0: Is it? Then we're,
2: we're really catering to a very specific it, demographic.: It doesn't sound as Lads is like something you have to say in like this high-pitched voice, though. Hello, lads. You know, you can't yeah. just go, "Lads."
1: That sounds weird when you say it like that. You're right.
2: We're catering to a like
0: a very antiquated young demographic. I like it though. Let's do that. Twelve-year-old boys.
1: (laughs) Hello, Oliver Twist, or whatever we're doing here. Can we? Yeah, now let's let's push this
0: along, friends. See, this is what happens when you go off book, Dan. You get tiff all on a tizzy, in a Mm. in a tiffy. No, No.
1: that didn't work. You should cut that.
0: (sighs) Thank you all for joining us. First, before we begin. This uh, very, very rocky episode. Let's go ahead and thank our sponsor, Tasty Minstrel Games. In case you forgot, you can check them out at playtmg.com or all of your friendly local online and -and brick-and-mortar stores for their titles, which are up on the shelves now. This episode is post-Pax Unplugged, which we all just attended. So I think the plan for today is just to talk a little bit about our East Coast convention-going experience. What we did, what we saw, what we played, how we felt about it. Does that sound good to everyone? Yeah. Yes. Th- thanks, guys. You are really good. The call and response here. <laughs> Is my internet latency well, really low or or high or what's going on?
1: I thought we pre-agreed to this. Well, I know, but see the... But you're doing it for the show. Yeah. I get it now. You know. You know. For the entertainment How we do that. Purposes.
0: So uh, the the games are obviously going to be the spotlight, so let's get some of the uh, more logistical information out of the way. PAX Unplugged was held in Philadelphia uh, for three whole days. This is the Penny Arcade Expo. It is their first year with a board game or analog gaming-centric convention. Uh, PAX is typically a video game thing. There's like five or six of them across the country across the year. And they always have a little bit of board gaming going on, but they never have a specific board gaming convention. So this is the inaugural year. And we are fortunate to be, well, Dan and I, are, were very fortunate to be within uh, two hours for me and within like an hour for him uh, of the drive to Philly. Tiff, you took the flight out and joined us. And uh, we, all, we all hung out as a, as a group for one of the few times that we get to do that each year. Yeah, it was nice. So uh, how did you all... What did you say?
1: I said it was nice.
0: Oh, sorry. I just... I <laughs> needed to hear it again. What did you guys think about the convention overall in terms of PAX Unplugged as a whole? There was a lot of differing opinions in terms of who it was for, in terms of the, the target audience, and kind of who attended. What did you guys think overall?
1: It was fine.
0: <laughs> Tiff's typical response.
1: I don't know it like i I'm, i might be getting too old for conventions it was just fine i mean it was like origins-esque but just not in ohio so inherently worse
2: <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> that might be up for debate but before we jump into the philadelphia versus columbus debate dan what'd you think about the convention overall
2: i thought it was good i mean it's a first year convention so i think it needs to figure out what it wants to be. I think it kind of had a bit of an identity crisis this year considering, it you know, PAX is traditionally a video game centric community. And I know that, you know, tabletop has kind of worked its way into the various PAX conventions throughout the year um, to, a, to a slightly greater degree. But I think this one being just tabletop specific, it was a, it was a bit odd but it was i think it was a really good thing for the community because you know things i've been reading um they were taking surveys and things throughout the convention and this was actually like i think they said over half maybe of the people that attended this convention this was their first convention ever um so that i mean that bodes well for the industry and kind of attracting new people to the hobby and things like that so i think from that standpoint, it's, um, it's a plus for sure. Um, location was pretty solid. Um, Philadelphia and East coast in general, I think we need more bigger conventions. Um, I think you've got a huge kind of board game population within the New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, like that sort of thing. And then all the way down to even to the Carolinas and stuff that people will be willing to take the, the six, seven hour drive to. So I think, yeah, I'd love to see more massive kind of East Coast conventions. I know Gen Con had kind of, I was telling Tiff this in the car, I'd put up like a survey a couple, maybe, I guess it was last year, of like where you would want an East Coast Gen Con Part 2, so to speak. And they had like Baltimore, Atlanta, Boston, and I was, you know, I'm all for any of those locations. I think it's it's a good thing. But, you know, overall for me personally, I don't know. It was kind of a weird vibe. Um, I didn't know what to think. It was really crowded. I think it was 20,000 plus people, so a little bit bigger than Origins. Um, and everyone was kind of packed into, at least in the open gaming area, like packed into that one hall. So it was loud, it was crowded, it was, there's was a lot of energy in there, but you know, I, I think you'll find with a lot of people, and, and Tiff, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, like Sometimes, like, you know, me personally, like, that gives me a headache. <laughs> like, I'd like... Mm,
1: oh my god, I had a headache the whole time I was there. So that, like, kind of colors the convention for me. I've never been so physically uncomfortable at a convention. And it. I don't know that it was the convention's fault or if it was my fault but that's how i felt almost the whole time like i it was a headache and felt claustrophobic and uncomfortable yeah because
2: the whole, the whole like the whole hall the open gaming area was just long tables with chairs like lined up and usually too many chairs for comfortable gaming space so a lot of people are just pushing chairs out of the way and you're taking out and like you're literally like right next to some other table and they're talking and having a good time and explaining the game. And you're trying to talk and have a good time explaining the game. And it's just conversations started to overlap. And just the the noise levels were just a bit loud for me um, personally. But I thought the vendor hall space was pretty solid. Um, you had a lot of the bigger vendors that don't come to some of the ones like Origins, like FFG. Um, you had, you know some they had space they had demos they were running big tournaments they had like a giant L5R and netrunner tournament like all kinds of stuff so i think it was good i think overall it was good um and and location obviously for me is a plus cuz i live so close to philadelphia um and work actually right down the street from philadelphia so yeah but overall i just got i just got a weird vibe from it um i don't know i you know on the scale of all the conventions i went to this year it's probably at the bottom um but that's you know that's not to say it's a bad convention and i wouldn't you know I, I would still recommend it people check it out
0: it the reason why it didn't hit home for me and I'll, I'll start with kind of that initial impression i had fun i'm glad that i got to see tiff i'm glad that uh, craig made the ride down got to hang out with him and you know spend time with dan lakata who doesn't live that far away but you know conventions sometimes are the only time you see people that live close to you uh like it was good i thought it was good gaming it was good people the space was comparable to Origins, I felt, in terms of they had a really long conjoined hall that was very similar to the the Origins hall. Um, it had plenty of vendor space. There was plenty of room to walk through the aisles and things like that. I didn't feel too packed like a sardine. I didn't have quite the claustrophobia that you guys are describing, except Saturday was obviously the most packed day because it was a three-day weekend. Saturday was the big day uh, where they had the biggest attendance. And Saturday Open Gaming was every table, every seat was filled. And we had carved out our space, but, uh, and we'll talk about some of the games that we played, but playing games in that space was difficult. Saturday night, lots of people, very loud, uh, kind of condensed, uh, lots of low level hum that made it hard to kind of over uh, hear games over top of. Uh, but overall, I felt like during the day, the gaming space wasn't too bad. There's Tables are much better quality than Origins. There was much more space than Origins. Um, But it didn't quite have the flair of Origins. And it didn't quite have the new releases of Gen Con. And it didn't, like you said, you know, in terms of establishing its identity, what was the pool for someone like me other than playing some games and seeing friends? I walked through the hall. I had seen everything I knew about everything that was in there. Those games had already come out. There were no new releases. There was nothing really on show that we hadn't seen before. There were a couple big tournaments, like you said, which were a good draw if you were a tournament player. But you had to sack a whole day to play in a tournament kind of thing. So it depends on what you were looking for. But um, it just didn't didn't have anything fresh and invigorating. And and that might be partly because it's the end of the year. You know, we've we've been through right. the gamut of all of this stuff. And Origins is like the, the start of con season. Origins kicks it off. It feels very uh, tempo setting. Like, we're all excited for Origins to get back into seeing everyone, you know, the summer camp begins kind of deal. And then this was the end of con season. It happened after Essen. It happened at the same time as BGG con, which used to be. Well, not used to be, but it also kind of signifies the end of the year. So it was weird and it and it didn't quite have everything that I wanted. And Tiff, I don't know if you feel this way being at Origins, but I felt I was too close to home to be that uncomfortable. To not have a bed and a bathroom for everyone, to not have food readily available. Cause like the convention experience is that you have to go hunt for all of those things, uh, when you're packing five, six people in a in a hotel room and things like that. So I was so close to home that all I wanted to do was like, hey, all cool people that I want to hang out with, let's just go hang out at my house and we'll all be happy and comfortable. And then...
1: Listen, I never want you all at my house. So it's that's not a that's problem fair. for me. At or- <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't feel that way at Origins, but I could see why you might feel that way. Like I said, I just... I felt mostly uncomfortable. I never ate at the time that I was hungry. Like... I was either eating too early or too late, like I don't know. (laughs) It was, it was just strange, and I like I said, I don't think that that's necessarily the convention's fault, and more just like I don't know Philadelphia, and I don't know where the like hot spots to get food are. And the marketplace there was really great, but it was also super crowded to a point that like I would rather not eat than go into that place so i don't know (laughs) there are just a couple little things like that 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 don't happen at origins like i never feel like oh if i don't eat now i'm not gonna get to eat i never feel that way there and maybe it's just because i'm basically at home and worse comes to worse i call my husband and he drops off a sandwich but i don't know I felt and I didn't want to like split from the group as much probably because it's a new con like I didn't want to get lost. Yeah. Cuz we cuz we had so many people in the room and two room keys and all that sort of stuff. Like normally if I start to get overwhelmed, I'll just wander around for a while by myself and feel better. And this convention I felt like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that." <laughs> so, I don't know if it's the con's fault that I felt this way, but I definitely was uncomfortable a lot think, of the time. I Dude. think
2: a lot of it too is just it was a first time con, and we were first time attendees. I just think you got to figure out what to do. Like origins, you know your traditions, you know your restaurants,
1: right? We don't have traditions yet, yeah, and that's part of and it. And I'm, Columbus, that's Columbus, what I'm to
2: From a hotel standpoint, is much cheaper, so it's there's not a lot of you know six people to a room. Like I know. The last three years, like I've had my own bed, like and that's like at Origins because I've yes. been able to afford you know a hotel room for half the price of what the Philadelphia room was, you know, for instance. So the the need and the cost was um, much much less. So I I think I think it's one of those conventions we're just going to feel out, but you know I I will hand it to PAX. I thought they did an excellent job running the convention, like it was it was relatively smooth their line system it annoyed me but you know i see the merit in it the whole like you have to queue in this long airport line the queue, yeah, hall? The queue hall so the uh, yeah let's explain the queue hall i
0: i don't i still don't understand it <laughs> so here here's how it works and i think that the reason i say that this is the the only thing that upset me about the running of the convention and it's only because i didn't know what was happening had I known, I would not have been as mad because I would have made different decisions. But basically, the way that it works is it seems to be their solution to what people call the crush, where everyone slams the front doors right when they open. So instead of the mad dash and the trampling, uh, Black Friday style, they have what's called the queue Hall. So you walk down, and it's probably because the queue Hall was down the longest hallway I've ever walked. So you walk down, <laughs> you walk into the convention center and you're at the doors of the hall and you're like, cool, I could walk in these doors, but I'm not allowed to because they direct you down this extremely long hallway. It's probably like a tenth of a mile. Like it's a, it's a weirdly long hallway. Uh, you walk down this very long hallway past all these nice volunteers who are directing you down the hallway. And on the other side of the hallway, people are walking up the opposite direction into the hall. And you're like, oh, Okay. I'm gonna walk down, at least this was our perception. I'm gonna walk down this very long hallway. I'm gonna turn around, round the corner, and walk back up. Little U-turn. And that keeps people from piling in. Not quite. You get to the end of the hallway, you get to this big atrium that looks like the like the center of a of a train station or something like that. And it's called the Q Hall. Q is in waiting in line, not Q is in the letter Q, which is what I thought it was. Uh basically it's a hall full of very long uh marquee cues that you would wait in for like a movie or something like that, uh, extremely long. So you walk down this long hallway, you wait in a longer line, and then they are kind of rationing you in groups into the hallway, into the, the vendor hall. So it's a little weird. We got to the end of the hall. We saw that we then had to wait in line after doing this whole big walk. And we're like, hey, uh, let's not do this. This is terrible. So we went to eat instead. Had we known, we would have just gone to eat and by the time we got back from eating anyway, we could just walk into the vendor hall, no issue. The only reason they have the queue hall is to stop the immediate opening crush.
1: Which is fine. I it's think fine. we were just, like, blindsided by it. And we were like, what? And it's, it's kind of weird to, like, walk that long to wait into a line. And I don't know how you would solve that. You just, like, have a sign that says, hey, at the end of this hallway, you're going to wait in line. They did call it the queue hall. And I did know that it was Q as in wait in line and not the letter Q. I knew that as we were walking, but I didn't think the Q would be quite so Q-y.
0: Also, I'm pretty sure that there was notice somewhere. Somebody was talking to me. I think it might have been Eric Buscemi about they put a notice. And I don't remember if if it was on the sign when you got your badges and stuff like that. But it said, like, if you want to be first in, go wait in the Q Hall at like 8 a.m., so that you can mm. wait in that line, and if you don't want to wait in line, then don't show up until like eleven, which is an hour after they open. So I, I think there was notice somewhere, but I,
1: it wasn't prominent. I didn't read it, I and know. I had no
0: context. So
1: yeah, well, see, and now if we were going to go back, it wouldn't be an issue. No, like it's just a learning process. Yeah, and apparently well, that's how they do I, things I...
0: anyway. So we just—I've never been to a PAX. So
1: yeah, yeah, it was—it was—it was our fault, really
2: that i like the crush i might be in the minority but that that's like half the excitement of a big convention is that that initial like let's get in here and see what's in here it's like christmas morning
1: i surprisingly don't mind it like i mean we we go to gen con and i've waited for that you know right in front of the doors thing every year i never feel like i'm gonna get trampled i mean maybe there are people that get trampled i don't know but it doesn't i don't know I get it. This is safer. It's fine. I
0: don't care. Yeah, it was fine. And everyone like, pretty much kept moving. They were moving at a good clip. When you waited in the queue line, you didn't, you were still moving the whole time. It was just, I don't know. We just needed to plan a little bit better. But other than that, I think that they had, they had a ton of volunteers. There were people walking around holding signs that said, like, ask me anything, which were.
1: Which I like. That's something Origins doesn't have. Is like, people. if you're going to Origins for the first time, you just don't know where anything is and you're made to figure it well, out. Yeah.
0: They had tons of people. They had good signage to, like, indicate where things were for the most part. Like, again, learning curve. When we got in there, like, Dan and Tiff had to pick up their badges, so we had to find our way to will call, but they had the signs the way they needed to. There was a little bit of, of a misunderstanding with getting Dan's press badge that was actually just at will call, but everyone who ordered ahead of time, they, they mailed their badges, which is fantastic. There was none of this Origins wasting half the day to wait in line thing press people didn't have to wait in a line to wait in a line to wait in a line so i think that that was overall pretty smooth and then the convention itself i thought was fair it was like 60 bucks for the weekend you could get day passes they had enough space i think they had enough space for everyone although it was tight at times but it didn't feel like it origins at times i was never like standing around i never felt like i was going to play a game on the floor yeah
2: uh, the, mm. the one
1: I think the tables are spaced further apart at Origins, though.
2: But you're not allowed to use them. The tables
1: felt really cramped. Yeah, well, you figure it out. But I've never not had a table at Origins, I guess is my claim, but... I don't know, I felt really cramped at the tables, and I felt like as things got more and more busy, uh, you know, Saturday-wise, like, it maybe didn't even start off that bad, but I felt like the walls closing in as we were there later and later, people were just, like, squishing in chairs. They literally closed
0: the walls you. know what I mean? mean.
1: (laughs) Like,
0: they they section off the vendor hall from the other hall, and they have this big, like, partition wall system that they close off, and all of a sudden the hall feels much, much smaller.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and that that's fine. I just meant, like, the people gaming around us seemed to grow yeah. around us, and it just felt like, oh, man, I don't even want to stand up right now because it's going to be too much effort. But
0: We carved out some good space. We laid our stuff out. We got—we usually had, like, a table or two for our group of five, six, seven, eight people. Like, the, we had space. It just was very the next group over is right next to you kind of thing. So,
1: yeah. And I don't like people, so take that for (laughs) what it's worth. a Convention setting is not one that I'm naturally comfortable in anyway, so when I'm saying I was uncomfortable, like I said, it's not necessarily the convention's fault, it's probably mostly me.
0: Yeah. Do you think, before we jump into some of the games that we played, since apparently the reports, I don't have any hard data, but supposedly the report is that this was a starter con for a lot of people, do you think that... For new people, imagine brand new people, like this was a decent place to go. I think it had good releases. Like if I I said to some people, if I have never bought a board game or I'm new to this and all I play is Catan or something, this this place had a wealth of awesome titles. I would have walked out with stacks and stacks, but because I'm me, this far into the hobby, didn't have anything to offer really. And then also gaming space and like events and stuff. It seemed like it had a good mix of things if you've never done anything.
1: Yeah, I think it's fine. And, and you know, just the way they staff it is nice for, for people who are new. I remember my first Origins and not knowing where to go and how much stress that caused me. So if there had been a dude walking around with a Ask Me Anything sign, I probably would have felt a little bit happier. So yeah, I think this would be a good one to go as your first one. And I definitely think that was the case, just looking at what people were buying. I'm like, oh, okay this isn't all just like board game media people and you know what i mean it was definitely you could tell
2: yeah yeah i thought it was good it didn't seem oh go ahead dude yeah i was saying i I think it's good i think and i um, for me the complaint of having everything in one room was the noise but if i'm new and i see something i see that energy in the room i see twenty thousand people playing board games like i feel like i belong maybe and i feel like not as left out, and I know exactly where I'm going. Like, I don't have to go find room 302B for, you know, the D&D or something like that. Like, everyone's just in this one room. You just walk around, all the hot games, all the panels, all the vendors.
1: And they had a library that anybody could access, which It was was very,
2: uh, it it was less intimidating than a lot of other cons. I I could picture being a first-time attendee just for the sheer fact that you just had everything right at your fingertips. Um, and addition, like you said, the help of the people were super friendly and things like that. So there, there's, there's a lot of positives to this one.
0: Yeah. Well, and as we make the transition to games, I want to kind of bridge that gap by talking about what you just mentioned, Dan, the, the hot games area, which seemed to be, it was this particular area that was kind of partitioned off, but anybody could walk up to it if there was an open seat and it was full of what the cool games are. And I know, I think BGG does something like this. Yeah. But it basically, for this con in particular, had a bunch of the Essen titles that were just releasing. And it had, like, at least one, if not two copies of most of the hot games. Like, all the games Dan has been talking about on the show and in person, it seemed to have most of those. And uh, they had a lot of of good options for games that were brand new to check out. Uh, Even though you couldn't buy them, they were letting you play them. So I thought that that was a cool area. That's not something I had seen before.
1: I like the way BGD... <clears throat> bgg con does it a little bit better they just have like a hot games library gotcha. and you can check out the games for a certain amount of they time have the tables too and yeah do they i don't i guess i just didn't notice that but uh, like in order to play a hot game you just sort of have to poach you have to stand around people who are playing the game yeah. until they're done playing it and that's who wants to do that
2: yeah, with with BGG, I think they changed it this year. I think they actually put a like a text notification system on their library checkout, which is super helpful because otherwise, yeah, cool. that's cool. But half nice. the fun was stalking the, the library. I, I'm not gonna lie, but they they also have like the top like corner of the room, and I don't, it might change next year when they move, but um, they had they select like twenty five of the hot like Essen releases, and they put them on. They put each one on like a nice kind of like geek chic type table. In this corner.
1: Oh, I guess I and do remember. You, you, that.
2: That's where you have to literally like hover over people, and that's really tough to get on. That uh, you have to wake up early, and but the cool thing about BGG is everything's open 24 hours from from a gaming standpoint. So, well, except for actually, the Hot Games Library does close. I scratched that. Never mind. But anyways, yeah, it, it was nice just to have that area at PAX, and on Friday it wasn't too bad. Saturday it was near impossible to sit down. You literally had to hover. Um, but it was, you know, we got in a couple
0: of them, which was good. Yeah. So let's use that to, uh, to talk about some of the games we played. Now I can confirm that everyone at the, on this podcast played at least two games.
1: I played like nine. What? Yeah, I know. I went back and I counted like what I played and it was a lot more than I felt like I played. So there you go. That was kind of nice. That's more than
0: you usually get done in a convention, Tiff.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. So... Well, there you go there's a plus
0: what did uh what did people play that you dug and or I. did not dug? I know there's some things to talk about
1: well my the favorite game that I played there was riverboat, but apparently we played it all wrong, so I don't know Dan knows more yeah
2: we did we played it pretty wrong, but um <laughs> you know in our defense, why did you play it
0: wrong guys well, so our
2: it's TC's yeah, so fault. The table was being held for Tiff and I while we like went and got food. And when we came back, some, you know, random Samaritan had had taught our buddies, Josh Mills and TC Petty, the the, the rules. So they were ready to go. And we sat down. And by the time we sat down and got there, Josh had realized that he needed to go to the umpub room in an hour to, to play test his game. He had something set up. So we all agreed to, instead of letting Josh just sit out and watch us, we agreed to try and speed play it. So none of this AP overthinking, just let's learn the game, take our actions, and see how it pans out, just to get a feel for it. So we did that. But in doing that...
1: Which I really like that as a concept, by the way. I think I'm going like, to implement that in my board game life. You should always just speed play the first game. It takes the pressure off. And it was fun
2: uh yeah i don't agree but uh, (laughs) dan
1: you're not fun so i am fun it was
2: fun with the group we had but i wouldn't do that i wouldn't do that all the time like yeah i just don't think because you get people get frustrated with rules and with things and if they don't grok it immediately like then people can get you know it just takes people out of it completely and then it's just a miserable experience all around even if the game is not good or bad you know what i mean like But it was fun. Yeah, I
1: guess if you don't know the rules, it would be hard to play fast. So I would recommend knowing the rules before you do it. But I think it's a good way of like, you know, I suffer from AP, you don't. I guess that's the difference. I am used to people being impatient about my turns and to just have the freedom of like, okay, I'm not going to think about this. And you know that I'm not going to think about it too hard. So you can't really judge how things turn out because I'm not thinking. It just made things better for me.
2: That's fair.
0: That's fair. Well, you could implement what we found out to be Josh Mills's chess clock rule, where everyone gets a chess clock, and whoever has the most time left gets twenty bonus points.
1: Nice, that is a good rule.
0: There you go, Tiff. Chess clocks for all.
1: It wouldn't work for me, but sure.
0: Yeah, so you'd never get your own
2: twenty point bonus.
1: Go on, Dan.
2: So, so like the game itself, it's it's an it's an interesting mishmash of mechanics, to be honest with you, and I. I've played it twice now. Once that speed round, which was incorrect, and then once correctly at normal pacing, um, which still isn't that long. That's the other thing too. Like I, that's a game. This game in particular is not one you don't have. You don't have to rush through it because it's not that slow of a game to begin with. So um, I think it added. I think we were like maybe 15 minutes longer than the last time when we speed rounded it, kind of thing. So it wasn't horrible. Um, but the game. is has four rounds within each round there's five phases and each of these phases are on a tile and at the start of the round you're going to draft in turn order the different phase tiles and when that phase you and then you'll execute the phases in order one through five and if you've grabbed the one you are the first person to go in that phase and you also get a small bonus that's attached to that that phase placard um which is, is cool. So everyone's going to draft. Um, there's in, you know, depending on the player count, some people will have more than one placard, um, at the end of the draft, um, in a four player game, which is the two I've played. The first player is always going to have two. So it's, and with four rounds, everyone's going to get to be first player once. So it it works out nicely in that way. Um, but what happens is, so (laughs) the game's called river boat, but the first thing to know is there's very little boating, in this game (laughs) and there is minimal boating boating on a river so the name is a bit uh deceiving i'd say it's actually a game about farming um and maybe lookout was like look we've got agricola we've got a couple of other games about farming maybe we need to disguise this as a game that's on water with a farming element so people don't get turned off and say why do i need this not i'll just play agricola so I don't, I don't know, maybe that was in their marketing brains to begin with, but anyways, Riverboat, it's designed by Michael Kiesling, I should mention that too, so excellent design pedigree on this, and, and I like it, that's the thing, I, 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 but I just don't know how much I like it is, is my problem. So to get into a little more of the game, what you're doing is you have, every player has a board, the board have different kind of hex spaces in five different region colors, And in phase one of the game, you're going to flip out uh, region colors and you're going to place farmers in these different regions on your board. In phase two, you're going to um, draft crop tiles that are either one hex, two hex, or three hex in size, and you're going to place them under your placed farmers on the board. So every farmer you place in round one is going to plant, slash, (laughs) grab a, uh, a crop tile in round two. So you're trying to kind of figure out can you get like that big size three by putting three guys in a row. But it it's kind of random because you're only going to place up to eight guys in round one. And the, the spaces you're placing them on come out randomly from a deck. So you got to kind of, it's a little pressure luck in that way. Um, in round three, you're able to turn in uh, farmed crops to a riverboat. I guess this is the only boating part in it. And it's not even boating. So basically, you're going to, for every farmer you remove from a like crop, you're going to aggregate that total and you're able to buy these riverboat tiles that give you a special bonus and then an end game scoring um, number of points. Um, In round four, you're going to draft these little cards that are going to give you uh, like one time um, victory point bonuses. And then in round five, you're going to place these what are called surveyors. On those one-time bonuses to score them, if you want to, and you can do that up to twice you know, two times per round. So that's just in a nutshell, without getting into it, because it's actually, like I said, it's such a mishmash of mechanics. It's hard to explain it without kind of having the visual. I think you guys probably would um, agree to that, <laughs> um, just because it is so kind of unique in the, the different kind of systems that are in it. Um, again, overall, I, I like it. It's got some. It's got some interesting tensions Um, so for instance the riverboat tiles like you're you're running this dude along the docks on your player board and you're moving him by when you draft riverboat tiles and other things and what happens at the end of the game is the person who's furthest ahead is gonna score all of the tiles he has come to or passed at full point value so each of those riverboat tiles is gonna have a value of one to seven when you um, turn into farmers Everyone else is going to score them at half, so it's 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 really annoying. But it's it it does give a, a decent tension and gives some weight to moving that guy forward and paying attention to what other people are doing on their boards as well. Um, I like I, I kind of like that. I kind of don't, and I, I'm still trying to like suss out my feelings on that part of the game. Um, the part I do like is the the kind of the the green people, the surveyors. So when you're drafting these one-time bonuses or these bonuses what are called estate bonuses that you put on your board itself. You have to really kind of plan out how you're going to use them and when you're going to use them. Um, And remembering you can only use two per round with three in the last round. So if I don't spend any green dudes in round one, because I want to build up these bonuses, which are going to be like number of crops, you know, so number of corn or number of things. So in round one, I might only have four corn. So that's only gonna give me four points, but maybe after round two, I have nine. That's nine points. Do I want to? Do I want to wait and take that risk of number one getting the corn I need and number two being able to score all of these cards I'm drafting in the in the time allotted in the four rounds? So, a couple of like interesting things, and I'll, I'll stop talking to get your guys' thoughts because you have both played it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's if you played it wrong, but it seemed like something that you would like.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I like It's hard to say now that I know that I played it wrong, so I don't feel like I should really comment on the quality of the game, but I like the things I was doing, like the little, you know, how it all connected together, but I don't know. Now I got to play it again, but Dan sold his copy, so and it's out of stock on Philibert, so I guess I'm waiting a while to find out if I like it.
0: Yeah, I only played once. I feel like even though you played it technically incorrectly. I'll, you got the well, gist of, the of it, were... too. You didn't play it horribly Yeah, you got wrong. the gist of Just of a the couple play, of, like, so...
2: minor mechanics that really kind of set off some things, like the pressure luck piece of it with the flipping the cards out one at a time instead of all at once, and little things like that.
1: Yeah, well, and honestly, that kind of stuff, like, That sounds like I would probably would have liked that more. All the things you described that we played wrong, I'm like, okay. No, I liked it better the second time.
2: I'm not going to lie. After the first play, I was like, "Mm, man, it was cool. But after playing it the second time correctly, I liked it more than the first time. I will say that much.
0: Yeah, I don't know how... I mean, I don't know. I've only played it once, so I'm not sure where the strategic depth pans out. I'm not sure sure where this game ends up. It's definitely a medium... I'd say it's like a solid medium weight Euro, but it's got the the turn structure is so easy that it almost feels a little light like it's not a terribly excuse me it's not a terribly complex euro game but it is enjoyable it it the first couple phases feel very approachable because they don't have a lot of tough decision making so i like placing my my little farmers and stuff that but the restrictions of the cards make it easier you don't have to you don't have to contemplate this big branching tree. It's more just like, I got to wait for what card comes up. And then I make a decision within those parameters of what card flips. And then the drafting, there's only so many options to draft from. And, uh, the riverboat tiles, oddly enough, were my most interesting or favorite part of the game, because it's all about when do you, how much do you want to trade in and when do you want to trade in? And do you want to spend a coin to take a tile that somebody else has already taken from the supply to managing that resource, so I liked some of the decision making Um it was less exciting than I was hoping maybe, just because I know that a lot of people have been talking about it and Dan, you know, picks good games especially with his Essen uh, crop, so it wasn't stupendous, uh, you know I don't think that it, there's still a lot of other medium weight Euros that I would put ahead of this one, uh, but but it was fun and I definitely play it whenever somebody wanted to just because it's so easy to do and it's a very quick game I could imagine playing it in forty five minutes once you know what's going on. So I, I felt it felt like a TIFF game. Yeah it's got some green.
1: It's like the what. it's my kinda kind of, kind of weight. It's kinda of like Puerto Rico ish. Like, I don't know. That's just where I'm at. Like I cannot play games that are that are gonna be like four hours long anymore. Like I just I'm done with that now. <laughs> so yeah. I liked it a lot.
2: Yeah. I just like Matt said, I, I don't know how you get better at it. It's enjoyable in the mm. moment, but I don't know how you like improve upon it, which for me is, is always something I like to see in a game that I can kind of uh, the only the only way I kind of saw that I could improve upon it this time was playing the rules correctly. So like, <laughs> Other than that, it's well, like you it's know.
1: like it has some tactical stuff to it. And like you're definitely more into deeper strategy games. I get that, but that's not for me.
2: Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I just is it worth 70 bucks? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I Is that the not. MSRP on it? I think it's I think it's in the 60s, yeah, even online. Yeesh. Um yeah, I I don't know. It just doesn't have that
0: kind of play. It's not that That's a that's a very high price point for this game, I would think. Both from a component standpoint and from a gameplay standpoint, I don't think that it's got it, it's it feels like it should be like in an Aaliyah box kind of deal, like a you know, it's a nice little La Isla kind of deal. Yeah. I would definitely yeah, recommend it's 62 trying sixty
1: two on cool stuff for pre order. The MSRP is seventy. That's too much. That's ridiculous. For this
2: game. Yeah. I mean they might have some import cost, I don't know, but Well, it's it's a lookout, which means I mean I guess with it's Mayfair. I I, well, Mayfair what the whatever they're doing now, folding or whatever I don't know what they're doing. Maybe that has an impact on it. But either way, like that's a lot of money for this game
0: it's fun though play it if you get a chance yeah no i'd recommend i don't don't
2: clamor for it i don't think i'd recommend trying it for sure it's like i said it's a it's a it's a cool mix of mechanics like it's just one of those things that's like at the end of it you're like okay yeah well i know we're gonna talk about some long games
0: because tiff and dan played a a long game and i think that that should probably be touched on so i'm gonna seed the uh the ground here with I, i played a couple of long games i actually played like I, I approached this con as like cool. Let's just look at some solid gaming hours. Get in some long games. We played a game of Forbidden Stars, which I won't get too much into, but it was nice to get that game to the table. I taught Craig and Eric Buscemi, and then Chris Kirkman sat in with us. It took us about four and a half hours. I ended up winning, which was cool. Uh, I think that that game, that game's a lot of fun, and I really like it a two player just because it is faster and a little bit more heads up. But that, it's it's a good big box like minis trashy like it's got good strategy but it's also got the dice so so i i dig that game a lot and i'm glad that i got to play it again because i missed it i forgot how much i liked it but it was tense and i don't think that every time craig and i go to a convention and play games i don't think he's ready to play games with me because he like seems to look across the table and think that i'm like I, i'm aversely affected in some way but like i just get into these games and i was in that forbidden stars game like play to win i'm ready to go let's Let's do this and I'm not gonna spend four and a half hours in a game just to like crap it away at the end. So I I was I was very serious during my Forbidden Stars game, but that was very fun. So people should still play that game if they can get a hold of it. I think it's it's out of print though. But the other long game that I wanted to talk about was Spirit Island. I got to play that with Dan Lakata and Craig, and that game is kind of awesome. I really, really like that. And I know that I don't did you ever talk about it, Dan? I know you played it, but I don't remember if we talked about it on the show.
2: No, I don't think so, considering I played it in the last month. so
0: uh, Okay, I didn't realize it was that, that recently, but what what, what what did you think about it? Did you enjoy it? I know you got rid of your copy, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I stole my copy because like, it was out of print and people wanted it and people were offering me lots of money for it, so I said, sure, you can have it, I'll, I'll live, um, and I'll get it for 50 bucks in two months if I wanted it again, kind of thing. So, um, yeah. It's good. I um for for a co op experience it's probably in my wheelhouse more so than a lot of things. Um, just because of the the Euro like hand management mechanics. Um, my biggest gripe is that it's really long. And the other part too, and even the rule book kind of alludes to it, is that like that planning phase, like that can take so long depending on who you're playing with. Like just the number of things that everyone's considering the board state what's in your hand what you can get from your hand what you can play from your hand what it's just a lot of factors that kind of you really and they say in the the rule book like time it if people are taking too long and that always kind of worries me and after playing it I was like I know exactly why they put that that caution in there because it like that that phase can take forever um depending on the group and like I said what's going on so um, it did have a lot of cool mechanics in it. Um, I liked the the kind of the upgrading quote the quote upgrading of the spirits. The the hand powers were kind of cool. Um, I I played on the the beginner version, which is like use the set deck of cards. I don't recommend playing that way because they're not that interesting. I'd rather like be able to tailor my strategy by picking the the advanced version, which is like draw four, keep one, or something like that. Um, when you're upgrading your spirit, um, but no, I thought it was, it was, it was cool. I could see, um, I've, it it scales well. Um, it's got probably a lot of replayability depending on how much you wanna, how hard you wanna make the game. So yeah, like I said, the biggest thing is like that's like it's almost like a three hour time commitment. It's it's ridiculous for a co op. Um, but it's it's not it's not it's not a bad game. I actually uh, enjoyed my play. Yeah. We have, you and I have uh,
0: different experiences here. I'm, I hate to, I feel like we always do this. I didn't have a lot of things that you just spoke about. Like I, the game definitely played long, but it's a thoughtful, like it's definitely a Euroe co-op game. It's about managing the infiltration of this island by like, uh, adventurers and things like that. So you're the spirits trying to drive them off. And basically it's, things are piling up and you need to use your powers through this camp management system to dispose of them, move them around, prevent them from, from growing and eventually ending the game. It's got, it's, it's not pandemic. That's not a good corollary, but it's got a pandemic feel in that it's like a containment game. Like you're trying to cure and destroy and like keep, keep pace with this ever growing kind of problem. Um, the game, our game, our three player game did take about, I think it hit about two hours 30. Um, it's, it had about a 20 or so minute break, um, cause Craig dipped out and got caught up with something and, and we were kind of, we had to learn it in the beginning and things like that. So two hours 30 to learn it and play it wasn't too bad. And, um, I played it again since and took under two hours with two people. So the time commitment I didn't feel was too bad. Uh, I, I guess I did see in the rule book that they say time the planning phase. I don't know why you end up with like a big hand of cards at times and there's a lot of different options, but, uh, I didn't think it was too bad in terms of planning. Like you you have a decent idea on what you need to focus on. The game has threats happening in certain areas and you try to focus in on those areas and then do a little bit more if you can. I like, I've only played with the base spirits, but there are a bunch of other spirits that are more complex I want to try out. I have only played with the base progression system. So I like that in that that helped me with my planning only because I knew what was coming next. You can look at the next card that you're going to get. So I like the idea of... Do, when I want to take that upgrade option, I know what upgrade I'm going to get. Um, I do want to play with the random draw and pick because it does have that crafting ability, like you said, the ability to tailor a play style. Um, I do like thematically the, the all of the beginner like powers that they group together all have that thematic bend. So I'm the river and I'm getting all these river powers, which is cool. But I, I just really like the game. I played it with Kel. She seemed to like it. I played it with Dan and Craig. I don't know. Dan likes it. I don't know how Craig felt about it because um, we never really decompress. But yeah, I just I thought that game was really cool. I love the theme of it. I think that they did a good job of expanding the idea of you being this this ever growing spirit. Everything plays asymmetrically. I think there's a lot of replay value. There. There's scenarios and and things to incorporate. I think it's a, a very cool game. It's got a lot packed in the box. and. I just had a lot of fun with it, but I'm also a big co-op fan. So that's kind of where you and I, where it breaks down probably. Um, but it, it's got a good Euro bend if you like Euros and are tempted to try a cooperative game. So It
2: does. I just, I never really, I didn't see it. I, I mean, it'll hit the table, but at that time commitment and just, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's not samey because there's a lot of, there's a lot of different elements that change and stuff like that but i could I, I don't know i could see it losing its appeal after a while again probably just because of the time commitment for me and my, my i like to explore other things it was fun to explore and I, I would play it again um but again for that for that chunk of time i could play two 90 minute euros you know things like that so um it's a it's an opportunity cost for me but it's a good it's I'll a good game to see how it shakes
0: out i i will be interested to see if three hours is the the going rate for that game well even at two and a half
2: like that's like that's long for a co-op for me like that's a lot of and again depending on your depending on your players and the like the the way the thing is like that planning phase can take long like i don't know like but yeah it's good i'd recommend trying it it's really expensive but um i'd recommend it
0: yeah all right long game tiff i'm leading you down a path
1: (laughs) so i played the gaia project with dan and tc and game of the convention best game Ugh, long
2: i told you it was going to be long when we started so don't whine
1: (laughs) i'll whine because i had a headache the whole entire time of it so four hour game with a splitting headache uh so i i don't really feel i mean it was fine it it I, it's been years since I played Terra Mystica, but I think it's comparable. I don't think it was that different from what I remember of Terra Mystica. It was Terra Mystica in space, more or less. To be with fair, a few we did tweaks. all
0: of Spirit Island in the time you guys played Gaia Project. So
1: It took a while. I mean, and that's dependent on you know <clears throat> how long turns take, and I'm a long turn taker. So it, it's not a game for me, for sure, just because of that. I don't need it. I'm glad I played it because I would never play it any other place than than a convention. But, yeah, I don't know. It was fine. I like the aesthetic of Terra Mystica better than the way this game looks.
0: I yeah, it, didn't, it doesn't really grab me. I saw you guys playing it on the table, and just, just aesthetically, I don't know about the gameplay, but I just thought that Terra Mystica is a little bit prettier.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. It was fine. If I'm going to play a space game, I'm going to play Eclipse. That's kind of how I feel about yeah,
0: it. Yeah, we know. Well, that's they're two you different games, eclipse. though. Like, Eclipse is it's a true. 4X. I,
1: I know, and I wanted to be able to attack the whole entire time I was playing this, which is a strange thing for me to say, because that's not usually my play style. But I was like, mm, I... this is missing attacking. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I guarantee you wouldn't have attacked any of us if we had that in the game. <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe not, but I, that's, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just something about space and that theme that makes me feel, you know, you're you're building out your territory, but like, you're just like nice to the people next to you. I don't know. It just seems strange for me. The theme plus the game.
2: Yeah. I really like is it. It's a
1: strange combo.
2: I really liked it. But again, Terra Mystic is my number one game of all time so there is that bias in it um, the game does have some differences but like tiff said the the essence and the feel of terra mystica is is ever present um, obviously the the main kind of thing with terra mystica that you know, I fell in love with was the kind of the constant push and pull of your player board and the upgrading of your kind of your civilization and the resource economy that you're getting from income and like the buildings and all that kind of stuff, which, um, is there. Um, they've changed it slightly, but not very much. Um, the, the little, uh, pool of, uh, purple discs. I forget what it's called. <laughs> I keep wanting to call it the fate pool, but that's cause I've been L five ring. Um, the the purple discs are there but they're not they're plastic now and you know to speak to the aesthetic like I think they changed it to plastic which for me I I don't like as much I do like the wood I like the tactile feel of wood I like the look of the wood I, I do like terra mystica as an aesthetic better I do agree with you guys on that one um, but the the plastic makes sense for the space theme I think and that's why they did it um, I didn't like that it I guess i don't remember how much terra mystica cost when it first come out came out but gaia project is a 90 I think it's 80 books gaia project is a 99 nine dollar game um and probably because of all the plastic in it um which to me is is a kind of a is a bummer but to speak to kind of some of the difference that i can remember um the 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 settling of planets so in like terra mystica like all the hexes are like all the spaces are all like next to each other, and you're terraforming in groups, and you're changing, and you're placing tiles down to show that you terraform the systems. In Gaia Project, it's the sp- the board is um, is modular, which is a plus for me. I really like that part of it um, because it gives you can come up with different shapes and patterns of the planets. Um, but the planets are on the board and they're separated by space, so you're you're having to upgrade your 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 ability to travel in order to get to certain planets and early in the game the starting positions you can usually position yourself to get to two or three planets without having to upgrade just like in terra mystica sort of but it they are spaced out and the, and the difference there is you don't change the planet type when you terraform it except for the what is it the purple planets which yes. you change to the gaia the gaia planets. so those are your gaia projects but otherwise they like you literally just go onto that and what that does that, is that allowed the game to kind of play into some different end game bonuses there's um, there's different tiles you can put out for end game bonuses so that by not just always being on mountains for instance you know by being on the red planet the blue planet the yellow planet the purple planet they can do a set collection kind of bonus thing and things like that so it it it, it allowed a little variability in the end game the other major change is the tech tree so before you had the cult track in Terra Mystica, here you've got the the kind of the tech board, which is, I believe, five columns in length. There's five tech trees. Um, and what happens is when you upgrade, so picture your Terra Mystica board, the far right buildings, I guess they would be the temples in Terra... Uh, God, it's testing my memory on the names. Um, but when you upgrade those, you get to take a, a tech tile, which is a... A permanent kind of bonus for your civilization. And when you take that tectile, you can go up on that track. Throughout the game, though, you can also go up on that track without taking a tectile by paying what's called knowledge, which is a resource in this game. Um, and you can go up on the tech track. And how the tech tracks work is as you gonna kind of go up them incrementally, they give you smaller bonuses or advances to your civilization, like I said before, the ability to travel further and things like that, the ability to terraform, so to speak, or settle colonize, I guess, um, for cheaper and things like that. And then once you cross this threshold on the tech track, then you're in the point scoring range. So any any um, token you have on the five tracks above this threshold is going to score you four points per step up the ladder. And there's three steps after the ladder. So that's that's how you're gonna score the points. So a little different than Terra Mystica. Um, but I liked it. I thought it was it was thematically fitting. I thought it gave some variability, some option. Um, because the different tech tiles, they they line up with a different tech track every time you set up the game. So again, variability in how you want to go towards what. So uh, those were the kind of the two major ones that stood out to me. There's a couple of different things, but um, again, a lot of it is super similar. It is definitely, I mean, I see why they subtitled it a Terra Mystica game, because it literally is Terra Mystica in space for the most part. That said, I was asked on Twitter a couple of times, you know, do I need this if I have all of Terra Mystica? And I, uh, I don't know. I my initial answer is probably no. not, but I'd like to explore Gaia Project a little more because I did I did feel like it it was a bit more fluid and a little more less janky than some of the things in Terra Mystica. I think they kind of f- fixed those things that people don't like.
1: But you'd still you would still recommend having one or the other. Like you don't need both of them.
2: I, yeah. Like I said, they, they give, they do like enough. This might
1: be a slightly more streamlined version, but it's going to tick the same box as far as take the when same you box. play the game.
2: But they do, they do, Gaia Project did enough different that I can see why it's its own distinct game. Um, and again, it, it's going to be down to you and what you want out of it. Like if you're looking for that same game, but just tweaked a little bit or you know, you've know you played Terra Mystica 75,000 times, yeah, give it a shot and see how you like it. Um, but again, at that price tag of 99 bucks, I, I'd play it first, to be honest. Um, that's my, that's my humble opinion, but again, it's a, it's a great game. It is a, a, an excellent game. Um, it works tremendously well, just like Terra Mystica for me. So, um, but again, with the whole similarities, I, I'd play it first, see if it's your kind of thing. If you feel like it gives you enough, you know, diversity in what you're looking for, from a, a gameplay standpoint to shell out a hundred bucks for it kind of thing we did it
1: <laughs> we
0: finally talked about Gaia project
1: oh I didn't know that was like was that highly anticipated I will say this oh, that was if my game you didn't e like Terra I mean, mystica you would not like Gaia project because like I I'm like indifferent on Terra mystica it was it was not like an amazing game for me I know it's like Dan's favorite game not my favorite game so Gaia project was also just not my favorite game <laughs> so it's not well, like the the theme is not going to change your mind the ch- the slight changes that they made in the theme i don't think is going to change anybody's mind on the gameplay
0: unless you were like man this terra mystica game's great but i wish
2: these were planets
1: yeah I think, but then it's finally here who's thinking it. that like i don't know if i well, want to meet the person
2: designed as a space game to be planets yeah. i think so i mean because the whole like terraforming slash colonization makes more sense in space i think um, yeah. than the way it's portrayed in terra mystica but I, i'm a fantasy guy too and i love space don't get me wrong but like the the aesthetic of terra mystica i like more like, I and just... if they
1: would have given us wood components for the space game i would have complained about that True. but i do like the wood components <laughs> for a terra mystica better i don't know
0: it's so strange. should have been all metal
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> then it would have weighed like seventy five pounds and cost like three thousand dollars.
0: And then Dan would have said, "It's a must stone."
1: <laughs> it was. It was fine. I, I don't I like r- like really metal
0: am... coins and stuff. I they don't. I they don't do it for me. An all metal Gaia project, Dan. You wouldn't want that.
2: Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Maybe. Hmm. I think you're full of it. I wouldn't <laughs> spend a lot of money on it. No.
1: Oh well then you're not getting all well, metal. I like that
2: wood. Happened. I'm a wood guy. Like I am like But
0: then you could resell it for like $8,000. <laughs> Buy a lot. More. I'm
1: glad I played it though. I'll I'll finish on that. Like I really I I will never play games like that ever again at home, really. So, it it was a good opportunity to be like, "Oh yeah. This is how games are, and I don't need to play like this at home. I'm good with what I'm doing."
0: All right well, it wasn't your favorite game, but as we wind down toward the end of our show here, let's go ahead and give everyone one last chance. What Tiff, what was your favorite game or what was a great game that you played since you played so many?
1: Oh, I liked Riverboat. I play, I did play snowblind with Josh Mills finally. Yeah. so that was good. It, it was as good as I expected it to be. My instincts are spot on a little push your luck kind of so race to good. the poles. It was fine and we had a blast. Do you so. own that? Yeah, I do.
0: Okay, so now you can play it.
1: Yeah, so that's good. I mean, if I ever have people over again, I don't know. It's always a battle for me. I got you. People versus games. And a lot of times, I would just well. Is be there alone. anything
0: else? What What else? You played nine games. Those I played Magic.
1: Standouts? I played Magic Maze and I everyone's bought that. new favorite game. Yeah, uh, Board Game Club loved that. So, oh, really? Yeah, we played it. It was. It was. They. You could. <laughs> it, it made me realize that I am a lot like a 12-year-old um, because they were having the same problems that I had the first time I played with you and Dan Licata, where, like, I'm not... You're not supposed to talk, but I can't not talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to say, like, you know... I'm not saying what I'm doing or what you need to do. I'm not, like, really breaking the rules, but I can't not talk. So, you got to say something. I have to say something. I, I when, when I was with the kids... I was a lot better at it, but, but, uh, yeah, they, they have a hard time with that. And, and the, uh, it's funny how fast that, uh, what is that big red pawn called how fast that starts getting tapped real hard and aggressively. I was
0: teaching it to Dan, Josh Mills, and Steve, and I was like, in this thing, you're just supposed to put, there's this big red marker, everyone, and you're just supposed to put that in front of someone to let them know what's up, but what you end up doing is just banging it or throwing it at people. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I taught it the same way, I was like, you just put this in front of someone to let them know they might be missing something, like, I, I framed it in a very polite way, but by the end of the game, they're like, yeah, throwing it and tapping it loudly and... Getting. so there were some frustration moments for them but i think by the time we had played a couple of the scenarios they were enjoying it and they would play it again so that was good
0: yeah i think you know that's game of the con man that game was great
1: that was a good purchase on my part I'm not, i don't regret it at all um, dan
0: you've now played with that one you've played all of the uh spiel de charis games wow. <laughs> yeah the third one is el dorado
2: um of those three, I like Eldorado the best. Queen Domino is the least. I don't know how. I mean, yeah, that must have just been a. Hey, we need to we need to give this to a French person. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bruno Catala. He's a good guy. But I don't like Queen or uh, King Domino at all. I find it to be a a snooze fest. But Magic Maze was it was fine. Been. It was fun. I'm like Tiff. Like I don't like those games where you can't talk. Like that's not. I would never like like actively pursue it's one hard. of those. But it was it was funny, like it was it was it was clever. I thought mechanically it was super slick, um, well designed. Um, but of the three, uh, El Dorado easily.
1: Oh, I also demoed fair... that pie game. What was that called?
2: Pie Town or Pi?
1: Pie Town. Yeah, that was okay.
0: Renegade was like the one company that had new games because they just can't stop themselves. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and their games are always a little overpriced at cons, but um yeah, I demoed Pie Town. I thought that was that was a board gamey club type of game.
0: Yeah, you get a secret pie box.
1: The pie box is terrible. It's this flimsy little <laughs> box and <laughs> you're keeping your tokens like it's a it's it's kind of like a deduction sort of like you're trying to figure out people's secret recipe and you keep your secret recipe in a box and there are mechanisms for flipping out your ingredients so people can't figure it out. And it's, it's an end game thing where if you've figured out people's secret ingredients, then yeah. But, uh, Dan Licata's like, why not just make the the tiles so you can flip, you know, you you just flip them. Instead, you have this weird box and you're pulling out of the box. It just kind of is a, it's a, it's like, ooh, cool component, but also super clunky and unnecessary.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Then you wouldn't have a pie box.
1: Yeah, but I, I know that my board game club kids would like that game. It just wasn't a hit for me.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Dan, you played some other stuff. Was there anything that stood out? Any any other than uh, your favorite game of the con terror, Terra Mystica 2?
2: I, we
1: played that uh I
2: don't remember what I played to be honest with Alice-matic
1: you. Alismatic game.
2: Yeah, that was sort weird.
1: Sorta. It was weird.
2: Um that was weird. I don't, don't think that was the Panama? I don't think that was the group to play it with, to be honest with you. No offense to Tiff, right? I mean that that's a war game and we didn't attack each other once in that game. <laughs> um but I, I don't see it being played anymore. I I liked what they were trying to do with the tableau building system, um, but it was... Yeah, I
1: like the tableau part.
2: It was it was a bit wonky on the board part of it. Um, I, I'd like to try it again at some point, but um, it, was, it was a weird first play.
1: Are you looking for a war game that doesn't look anything like a war game? Yeah. Yeah, then do that.
2: Yeah. Like I said, <laughs> it, it allows you to just play passively, and all three of us did, and we just kind of <laughs> <laughs> did what we did and that was it and i don't know if that was the way to play it or not um but it was it was wonky. probably not so
0: isn't yeah. that game about like droves of alice in wonderland clones being formed
2: yeah something like the... you're like
1: summoning them you're like the queen, yeah, maybe? the queen the queen
2: of hearts summoned too many alices to the to um to the kingdom to fight off the capital nothing Capital N, nothing. <laughs> um, and so you're using these Alice's to run around the board and do stuff. It was yeah, it was okay. It had some like I said, the the Tableau building had some interesting kind of like flip this, do this, you know, the number it had a kind of a dais feel to it. Um So it's an Alice on Alice war game. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: was weird. If you're looking for something yeah. weird, it was definitely weird.
2: Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't remember what else I played, so I'll figure (laughs) it out and talk about it next time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we played a lot of games. It was a good
0: game playing con and there was good food, even though you had to wait in line and all in all, I think PAX was weird and cool and needs some consideration for next year, although it's in December, but, uh, it'll be something I think about, but not something that I necessarily fight to buy a badge for. I'll have to. See what the schedule looks like. But any other any other final thoughts on the old packs unplugged or this episode before we wrap up, friends? Not for me. Nope. <laughs> you guys are so great. What? Thank it was you all fun. for joining us. What?
1: We said all the things. It was fine. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be in I'm December next in. year, so I probably won't go next year because December is kind of a busy time in my world. Pretty sure it's a busy yeah. time for this...
2: everyone like it's yeah like, but, it's but such like a i have weird a time to have every a two
1: yeah that's true i wonder if that date will stick forever or if they're just trying to find their place in the world because it is like kind of weird that it happens at the same time as B- or that it happened at the same time as bgg come
2: they're probably just trying to fit it in between all their other paxes they have so many of them so <laughs> that's probably their thing is like oh we have december open <laughs> right <laughs> Alright, thank you all for joining
0: us for episode 78 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. It has been enjoyable. If you want to reach out to... Nope, hold on. Thank you to our sponsor, Tasty Mistral Games. Be sure to check them out at playtmg.com. If you want to reach out to any of us, the best place to do that is on Twitter. And Tiffany B., if they want to chat with you about claustrophobia. <laughs> How do they do that?
1: I'm at inept gamer.
0: And Dan, if they would like to uh, coordinate... The production of an all-metal Terra Mystica for your personal collection. How do they do that? Um, At scandalous underscore nat or at league nonsense. You can find me at simonbun spelled phonetically. Again, thank you all. We appreciate it. We will see you next episode. Until then, everyone say goodbye. Bye.
1: Bye.